On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Wheeler Del Toro about his latest single, The Sun Will Shine Again. He's got a lot going on in his life. Hopefully, we'll talk about the party scene. How can we we can revive that in the age of COVID? So, welcome to the show, Wheeler. Thank you. How are you guys doing today? Hey, great. You know, I had to bring up the, the party part of all this. We're going to talk about your music a lot, but, you know, you got a big start you know, putting on events that incorporated both music and food. And it just seems like, you know, that that's really such a big part of your story. I just want to start off and talk about, you know, what's happening with these events, you know, post COVID and are we going to see a return to people going to these big events full of, you know, good food and good music? Uh, yeah, hopefully we, we, we've been getting a lot of requests to do events uh, around the country um, I still haven't figured out how we're going to be traveling internationally. I know we were actually scheduled to do three weeks in Milan um, st- starting on the 21st of September. I'm not sure if that's still happening. But uh, a lot of things have, have changed, obviously, since COVID. Um, a lot of our events that we have done over the summer have been primarily outdoors. Um, everyone's required to wear a mask, and recently we started requiring people based on, you know, local uh, requirements if, if, uh, for vaccinations. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we, some really... we can get back to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And you have some really impressive credits. I mean, you've promoted events in New York, Philly, Paris, Ibiza, you know, very global but it seems like you really got your start uh, when you founded an event called Maroon, which was a pop-up event, and you did that when you were living in Paris. Yeah, so um, after graduating from high school, I had a choice of uh, being a camp counselor or uh, traveling with a friend who who lived in Paris. Um, My friend actually was my girlfriend at the time who had a flat in uh, in the 7th, in Paris, and uh, we literally got there, and I thought I was going to be able to hang out and, and do guy things, which was play PlayStation at the time, because mm-hmm. back then I wanted to be a professional gamer, and uh, after about two weeks, I, I was informed that I needed to get a job for the summer, and uh, I was very confused because I thought French people and, and especially French women just let you do your thing. And I wanted to be, you know, like I said, a professional gamer. And I realized uh, after I was informed that most women are the same and they, they want a guy who's going to be very successful and who's a go-getter. So I had to come up with something. And the first thing I could come up with that I was happy with was doing a, a pop-up series called Maroon. Very good. And, you know, in reading your bio – it says this was very much to, you know, pay homage to David Mancuso, who created The Loft in New York. And if you don't mind, I just want to read, you know, you've got a mission statement, you know, for what you're doing with Maroon. And it was to create a safe space where people from all walks of life, economic, social, racial, gender, sexual orientation, can come together and enjoy life, which I thought was just very intriguing. And... How are you still able to do that? I mean, it's one thing, you know, to start out, do one party, but how have you sustained that in a series of events? Uh, believe it or not, it's, it's, it's a lot easier than it used to be years ago. 
um, you know, people coming from different backgrounds and different sexual orientations, a, a, a lot of groups didn't really mix. And if you go out now, you kind of see that there's, you know, clubs for cool kids, clubs for nerdy kids, clubs for hipsters. And my goal was to bring everybody together because everyone had something to offer, you know, whether it was, you know, a fashion sense or just like I, like you said earlier, I, I mix a lot of uh, my events. They, they're based off of a theme. Most of the themes, is, it's a combination of food, culture, and music. So mm-hmm. bringing those groups together these days, is, is a million times easier than it used to be. And actually, if, if there weren't, if it wasn't a diverse group of people, you know, the event wouldn't be that good. Um, mm-hmm. I can give you a great example. So when COVID first started, we were on tour doing events in the Midwest. And everybody who works with me was very concerned that, you know, the, a, a lot of the events were going to be very uh, homogeneous group of people. But even in red states, blue states, purple states, there are all sorts of people in every economic sexual orientation that represent the red states and the blue states. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been amazing the response that we get from the different types of uh, people coming together. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people remember back in the 90s, you know, rave culture and raves, which is – Probably the closest thing a lot of people have heard of like a pop-up event, meaning this isn't in a regular nightclub. You know, this is like, you know, rent a warehouse for a night and put an event on. And I'm just wondering, how do you think things have sort of progressed since 90s rave culture to what you put on now? Um, I can give you a great example. So when I was doing pop-ups, they weren't even called pop-ups. Um we would go to different cities and we would host these events. Uh, back when we started, some of the I – I, I, here's a great example. I won't name the city, but it's on the East Coast. It's an extremely conservative city. And I, back then I was doing maroon, but I also had combined it with uh, dining in a dark events. So I had two friends who were blind and they were complaining that they couldn't find any work and people just didn't understand them. So I created, you know, a maroon event based around them as waiters. Um, and the event was dining in the dark. So literally you're dining in the dark and because they're blind, they're used to being in the dark so they could serve people. And it was a great experience. We went to one city and they thought dining in the dark somehow was a sexual sort of innuendo. So I remember, like, we had 50 or 60 people there, and the police come, and they show up, and they're like, oh, we caught everybody. And there was actually a judge there who was like, what's the deal? So <laughs> as, as food culture, because before the, the, you know, for now, food wasn't as hot as it is. You know, there's a, a trillion food shows on. Um, and the, the culture around doing creative things with food and beer gardens, you can go to any city pretty much in the country now, and there's a beer garden in a space that was once abandoned. Or, you know, the city is actually hosting events basically that were raves but are now sanctioned by the city because they realize how successful they were and how it brings, 
you know, a new generation of people to their city? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think what's important is just, you know, knowing the whole background of, you know, underground dance events and, and just, you know, like I was saying before, your inspiration by the loft. And it seems like it's come full circle, like in the 70s, you know, the loft was very influential into like, you know, Paradise Garage, which still kept that kind of underground right. dance feel. You know, Studio 54 seemed to appropriate it in a, a much more commercial way. But now that, you know, going into, you know, 2022 and, and your modern spin on it, what I like about your, your song, The Sun Will Shine Again, it really sounds like you're incorporating a lot of that underground dance feel, you know, house music, but just a, a little more raw, not not quite this, um, I don't know, everything is so commercial now. It just seems like everything you do, you keep a little bit of that underground edge to. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the incredible thing about that song is that I brought um, a couple of different people together. So the original version of the song uh, was me and Kenny Bobian and DJ Spin, who was an underground sensation himself. He's been DJing since he's been 13 in the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area. And then there's, we have a remix coming out now uh, with, with Kenny Dope, who's half of Masters of Work, who basically incorporated the, the Latino um, sort of underground flavor in New York. And then there's a, there's a remix that's coming out in the future with uh, another Kenny, Kenny Carpenter, who was one of the original DJs at Studio 54. So I, I try to incorporate the music, and like you said, you, you, you got it, which was to keep it more underground but still accessible. Mm-hmm. I think one thing about a record like The Sun Will Shine Again and Underground Dance is, I mean, you can listen to it on your headphones, but there's just something about hearing a record like that in a big club with those acoustics and with a big crowd of people. Uh, absolutely. The, the song actually, uh, Masters at Work started playing the song this summer when they were doing music festivals. So besides being in the club, because some clubs are only doing outside events, um, it, it's, it's been amazing to see the response that we're, that we're getting from the song in these huge, you know, like I remember uh, we were in Budapest a couple, about a month ago, and there were maybe 10,000 people. And so that you could imagine the sound system and hearing it come through the sound system and seeing people's reactions. My events are a whole, a whole lot smaller, but to see mm-hmm. that people got the song and got what we were trying to do through the music was incredible. Wow. To see 10,000 people hearing your song at once. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Well, so Kenny Bobian, is he the vocalist on this song? Yeah. So Kenny does background leads. Um, I'm one of the producers. So sometimes I jump on and play instruments um, and me and Kenny, we've been working together. So Kenny actually grew up in the underground dance scene, uh, Paradise Garage, he, he Studio 54, 
the great club Zanzibar out of North New Jersey. So he's he's from that gritty area of Newark and, and just that whole era of underground music. And he has so many amazing hits, basically going back to, you know, the early 2000s. He's been he's been singing literally since he's been eighteen nineteen years old. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you hear those influences, like um, the sun will shine again. When I hear his voice, it really makes me think of like Sylvester, you know, from, from his hits in the seventies. Right. right. He's 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 actually done a couple of, of remakes of some, uh, Sylvester's songs because he sounds so much like Sylvester. But he, he's also. He's he's got more of a Jersey sound, which is more of a little bit of a more gospel sound to his sound. So that's that's why it, it's it's such an amazing tune because he still keeps it like underground, but it's got that churchy gospely feel that that comforts people. Mm-hmm. Well, is this something where you want to be doing some live performances? Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, we obviously have no control over the, the new variants that are coming out, seems like, on a weekly basis. Um, we have been doing shows uh, this past summer. Um, I have personally been on tour with a, another group called Chairman of the Board, but uh, me and Kenny, w- w- like I said, we were slated to, to, to be in Italy for uh, about three weeks and uh, we're seeing how that plays out. So we're definitely going to go on the road. We, me and Kenny actually have uh, a full-length album um, coming out in the next couple months. So we, we will definitely be going on a, out on the road to support that. Okay. Now, when you guys put an album out together, what name will that be under? So it, it's, I'm, I'm actually the front man for a, a band called uh, The Beautiful Thieves. And Kenny is going to be our featured starring guest lead vocalist. Mm-hmm. So normally okay. we go out on the road with um, our lead singer, Sydney Washington. But because I, I, I did this whole album, it's called We Need Love, uh, which is part of, I don't want to call it a, a, a rock opera, but it does chronicle like a story, like my story of a romance um, with that I had with somebody after meeting her on the L train heading to Brooklyn. So it's a series of songs that literally chronicle our relationship. And Kenny, me and Kenny worked on it for about two years, and it's it's an amazing project, and we're and we're finally done. And like I said, it's coming out no later than uh, like November fifteenth. Wow, that sounds like a real labor of love there. I mean, two years in the making. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, another thing that's so nice about modern music is people are so free to guest on other people's project. You know, we're in the era of the featuring this artist with that artist and, you know, multiple groups. How much of that have you embraced? Or, you know, in the past it was, you know, pick one name, stick to it. You know, you're a solo artist. Now people just seem so much more open to collaboration. Yeah, I mean, collaborations have always been around. As this, you know, I, I remember one of the great collabs that I love is mm-hmm. when uh, David Bowie teamed up with Queen to do Under Pressure. Under Pressure. So, right. 
we're all familiar with them. Is this that, that, you know, usually labels try not to, you know, because of, I guess, the economics behind it. But these days, so many artists are friends with other artists. So many artists use the same studios. Um, For me, it was amazing because of COVID. um, I was able to reach out to people who I know from different groups to to play live instruments um, on on the album. So our album was a little bit different for dance. Most of the, the instruments that you hear uh, in our songs are live. They're, they're actual instruments. They're not computer-generated like a, a lot of dance music is. All of our stuff is actually live. And that, with, in, with technology, um, so one of the songs, like We Need Love, is a song that me and Kenny did together, which is our lead song from, from the album coming out. There was a, a percussionist who lives in Costa Rica. There, there, there were different horn players there was a horn player that was in Paris. There was a horn player that was in L.A. There was another one that was in Morocco. So with technology, in collaborations, we were able to put together this music with literally people from around the world. And this is, this is why our, our music sounds so incredible, at least to me, um, is because I, I was able to tap into different groups and different professionals who aren't used to playing this style of music. Mm-hmm. Well, you definitely have an international scope. You know, where where did you uh, grow up? Uh, where were you born? So I'm actually uh, Cuban. I was I was born in Cuba and moved to the UK um, and then immigrated to the US. Um, but I spent a lot of time um, in, in, in Europe. Um, as I said earlier, I moved to Paris after high school for a few years. Uh, then came back to the States to, to, to go to university. But I've traveled to about 100 countries, uh, whether it's touring for the pop-ups or touring for music. So I, I've always had an international uh, love of just people and different cultures and just sharing uh, originally through food um, what I love to do and my communication style to now incorporating music and food. Mm -hmm. Well, what are your thoughts on just how, you know, the international DJ party scene has progressed in say the past 10 to 15 years? I mean, these uh, festivals and events have just gotten so huge. I mean, do you think they've, some of them have gotten too big? Um, I've, I've actually, been to lots of them. I think um, I would like to see them bigger. Um, it, it gives artists, it, you know, especially up-and-coming artists, a great platform to showcase their work. It gives uh, older, more traditional artists new platforms to showcase their work. So at some of these uh, music festivals, you might have somebody who's normally in a band uh, they might play a set with their band, but then also have a DJ set so you can kind of hear how they vibe as, you know, as, as a person, a regular person. And then you'll have DJs who sometimes join bands. So I, it's back to the collaboration where I think uh, the, the music festivals give everyone, it's, it's great for the consumer because you're paying, you know, a couple hundred dollars for a ticket, but you can see 20 or 30 of, of the most amazing bands that have, you know, new music out that year, which, which I think is incredible. Mm-hmm. 
Well, what's the best size music event where you can still really feature the food? Is, is there a good balance to strike there? Uh, I usually try to keep my events. Uh, some, like I said, I've seen people do much larger events, but I try to keep my events to about a hundred and a pe- hundred people and under. And that way I can actually talk to, to the majority of the people who are there. Um, my style, like I'm also a DJ, my style is, is, is basically the same as David Mancuso's, which is I allow the record, if I play a record, and if you look at my songs that I create, I have a song that's, I think, 27 minutes long. So I allow the record to play completely through instead of doing a lot of mixing or scratching or, you know, just a lot of playing with the music. I'm... I'm I'm more of an audiophile where I want to hear the instruments and I want to hear what the, the artist who created the song is, is trying to communicate to me. So for me, it's, it's under 100 people. Okay. Well, in addition to calling yourself a producer, a musician, you also use the term musical host. So I'm just wondering, like at an event... You know, what are the duties of a musical host? I mean, and, and what's the advantage of having a heavily hosted event? Okay, so for me, like I said, Mancuso, uh, I was very fortunate to, to work with him uh, at a few events. Um, I picked up some, some tips from him, uh, which was when, you, when, when you're invited to a dinner party, we'll say, a, a lot of the, the – the party is based sometimes on a theme. When I do events, everything starts from the food, and I incorporate the food with the music. So you'll come to one of my events, and the music and the food will be paired together like food and wine. And my music and food always tell a story. So that's, that's why I consider myself a musical host, because I'm, I'm actually guiding you through an adventure through the food as well as through the music. And that's why I allow the songs to play all the way through to the end before I put on another song. And like I said, the songs and the food together tell a a very interesting story. So for your song, The Sun Will Shine Again, what kind of food and wine would you pair that with? Um, I actually would probably pair that with, with, with a champagne. Um, I love truffles. And um, I would probably probably do some sort of pasta dish um, because it's, 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 it's a comfort food. And I wrote that song with, with, with Kenny, um, you know, when we were going through some tough times when Trump was president. And there were a lot of people who were down. There were obviously some people who would support Trump. So there were some people that were happy. But a, a lot of the people that I knew were really depressed, very moody. And we would tell people, there's, there's no worries. The sun is shining again. Everything is going to be okay. We're, we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite Cuban food to make? Ah, uh, that's a that's a good question. I, I make a um, not really Cuban, but I've kind of I've co- kind of co-opted it. I do a lot of different 
vegetarian and vegan types of um, ceviches. Mm -hmm. So I like to do a, a, a mushroom uh, ceviche with, with truffles that's really spicy. It's almost as spicy as a, as a jerk um, from Jamaica, but it's, it's, it's a little bit sweeter. And, and, and how do you make the perfect mojito? Uh, I actually am not a bartender. <laughs> and I, 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 prefer, I prefer to drink champagne personally, so I actually don't make a lot of mojitos. What? But, yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Everyone's saying that. So, um, and, and believe it or not, I'm, I'm allergic to rum, so I, I don't really drink mojitos. I've had mojitos with vodka, gin, bourbon. I've, I've tried it all. I'm usually happy with a Shen Mojito, and I know some people think that's probably crazy. But, yeah, I, I really don't make uh, Mojitos, but I can suggest a Champagne or a Prosecco. Well, there you go. Or at least maybe a, a gin and tonic with uh, lots of ice. There you go, G&Ts, one of my <laughs> favorites. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap up in a little bit. Still have a few more questions, but... Uh, before that, I really want to make sure people know how to find you online and just learn more about you. I mean, you wear so many hats. You know, where where should they start on their quest to learn about you? Um, you can always find me and find the the events I have by just googling Wheeler Del Toro. Um, and depending on what you want to check out, if you want to come to a, a food pop up, you can just go to my website. We usually have tickets for sale there. Or you can go to my website, which is wheelerdeltoro.com, and jump on our mailing list. Uh, we have about 400,000 people on our mailing list around the world. So literally when we come to a city, um, like if we, if we go to New York, we'll literally send out an email if we're going to do a pop-up. And, you know, it's first, first serve, first come as far as ticket-wise. And, you know, I, 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 do, I, do, I do fun things. Like, I don't like, especially when we're on tour, I don't like sitting in hotel rooms. So if someone else is having a pop-up, I'll usually reach out to them and just come crash their pop-up and, and jump on their event and just, you know, do my thing with them as a surprise. So usually, like I said, you can – there's resident advisor. You can check us. But usually Googling us or just going to my site, wheelodotoro.com, you know, we keep that updated pretty much every day. And the pop-up events, are you still doing them under the name Maroon? Uh, so it, it, it's best to to Google my name uh, or to go to my website. We, you know, we do Maroon events every now and then. But, you know, uh, I've been doing a lot of murder mysteries lately. So oh, okay. those are sort of... Yeah, so those are kind of taken off. And, you know, we still incorporate the music with those. So we'll do like a jazz murder mystery, and sometimes I'll have a live jazz band. Sometimes I'll create a soundtrack for that, for, for that event. Um, we, you mentioned Studio 54 earlier. We do a, a murder mystery that happens at Studio 54, so you can imagine it's an all-disco soundtrack. We have a murder at, um, at a music festival. 
So that's more of today's modern sort of music. So we try to incorporate the music, theme, and food. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like one of the themes throughout everything you do is just interaction. Like when people come to your events, they don't just sit passively. Yeah, so the way I do murder mysteries, you, you know, they're kind of getting popular now, which means we have to do something different, um, is that a lot of companies will have performers act out the murder mystery. I don't, we don't do that. Um, once you get on the mailing list, and we have an event and you're coming to the event, every single person who's coming to that event gets mailed apart. So you're actually going to perform yourself at the murder mystery. You, 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 you're not coming as yourself. You're coming as a character that we emailed you. So well, it sounds much it. more and, fun and, to do that. Absolutely. And we, we encourage people, and we haven't really had too many bad apples where they didn't, get dressed for it so usually it's an amazing event because you know people take the time and they really care to 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 get dressed up like one of our most popular events that we're doing now is basically called an 80s prom oh wow and and then so it's a murder it's a murder mystery at an 80s prom so i play all 80s and 90s dance underground music some punk rock you know the traditional smith's the cure and it's a prom so oh, cool. everybody, everybody loves to dress up for the prom. You get to wear a tuxedo, you know, you know women get to wear their, you know, their jewelry and beautiful dresses. Unfortunately, some people get killed. Not Uh-oh. in real life, but <laughs> as, as the murder mystery. Well, I was still in high school in the early 80s, and uh, I remember the big lapels and just the, the powder blue tuxedos. Absolutely, and there, and there are people who find those tuxedos. There are some people, there there have been women who literally wear their prom dress from the 80s, and, it, and it's amazing. Wow, that's there, very there are some meta. People who don't, yeah. There are some people <laughs> who don't fit their prom clothes from the 80s. True, probably the majority of us. Well, I would have loved to have seen the Studio 54 murder mystery. I bet there are some amazing outfits for that. Yeah. I mean, people, the one thing I love about what I do is that I, I get to interact with so many people. And people might think that it's corny, but I, I judge my success on how many friends I can make and how many people's lives I can actually touch. And, like, when you, when you say the, the Studio 54 or the 80s prom, there are people that are serious. I mean, there was a a young lady who, she might have spent like five or $6,000 just on her prom dress. And I'm like, okay. And like, her husband was like, she's been getting ready for this event for almost three weeks. And you don't realize, because I do so many of them, how important social interaction is with people. And, And some people... You know, they get to redo the prom, or they they get to go to Studio 54 when they couldn't go, or they were too young to go, or they weren't even born. And like I said earlier, I'm I'm friends with one of uh, Kenny Carpenter, who's one of the original DJs from Studio 54. So we actually have a DJ 
who sometimes creates a sound uh, a soundtrack or listens to my soundtrack and corrects, you know, and makes sure the music is authentic as possible. That's amazing, and it's so nice to preserve that history. Yes. Well, when you come Absolutely. across younger people, say, you know, in, in you know in their twenties, just starting to go out to clubs. How do you like to share the history of dance music? You know, how do you like to say, hey, back in, you know, the early 70s, there is this pop-up called The Loft, and this guy who orchestrated all this stuff, David Mancuso. How do you like to introduce young people to this music history? Through the music, believe it or not. A, A lot of people... You know, when we're growing up, our parents and our friends and our relatives, you know, they all listen to a style of music. And I've learned by playing some some loft classics mixed in with today's modern songs. I do a lot of remixes of newer songs with classic music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So they're 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 singing along, and they're actually learning the music underneath, you know, from back then. So they, they get, you know, introduced to the, to, to the old school music, if you want to call it that, through their songs. So I, I try to, you know, it's, it's, it's transgenerational when I'm, I'm remixing songs. And like, like I said earlier, this, this entire summer I've been on tour with Chairman of the Board. I don't know if you remember Chairman of the Board. Like from decades ago, chairman of the board? Yes, from 1967, chairman of the board. Are there any original so, members left? Uh, there is one. Wow. And he, yeah, I won't, I won't say his age, but he's old, but he does an amazing job. The band is, is amazing, and I actually did a couple of remixes for them. So that that's a perfect example of how I'm modernizing old school music from the 60s and 70s and just adding a modern twist to it. Wow. Well, that's very important. I mean, here's the other thing about The Sun Will Shine Again. That totally sounds like a record that Larry LeVan would have played at Paradise Garage back in the day. Right. And what are your thoughts well, on, you. on him? Because there's yeah, and there's such an appreciation of him and people making documentaries. I mean, so much of this is such a long time coming. Do you think finally there's this full embrace of what underground dance from the 70s and 80s was doing? I think that it's it's becoming more, um, I don't want to say mainstream, but I think there's, there's more of an appreciation. Like, when, when we... My song, uh, The Sun Will Shine Again, is not, it's not out yet on digital services. We released it as a 12-inch uh, a week ago. So we released vinyl before we actually released digital. And a lot of the younger kids these days are, are going back to vinyl because they, they're, they're realizing the difference in the quality of the sound when you're actually playing it on a record player versus just hearing it streaming. So, you know, to, to, to think that the younger generation is searching for um, the music, 
trying to understand the culture of how older people sort of grew up. And when you, when I, obviously I talk to a lot of people, when I talk to younger people, they kind of feel cheated because the club scene, especially the underground club scene, is a lot different than it is now. There are a lot more rules. There are a lot more regulations. You know, and, you know, there's so much branding and marketing and, you know, everything's for sale versus, you know, back then it was just a party. You know, sometimes it was just a party with two lights. You know, there wasn't lasers and, you know, all of this stuff going on. It was a, a red light, blue light, sometimes two blue lights, sometimes no lights and candles. And, like, David used to do parties with a lot of balloons. No alcohol because he didn't want the focus to be on the alcohol. He wanted the focus to be on the music and building relationships. And I think that with cell phones, people are preoccupied, you know, constantly on their cell phone. And if if you go to a music festival, you'll see a lot more people filming the groups uh, versus actually dancing. And I yeah. think that there's there's starting to be this resurgence of people saying, hey, I want to dance and actually enjoy this moment instead of trying to record the moment. Exactly. Well, you know, I'm not sure what years, you know, you've been in and out of New York, but remember a while back when they closed all the nightclubs in New York, or at least in, um, was it mostly downtown? I'm not exactly sure, right. but or there's just a real blow to just a live dancing in a nightclub in the city. Right. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think that was because of some uh, drug issues uh, that were going on in New York. But, you know, uh, most of my friends are playing around the city. You know, there are uh, – I, I forgot the name of the place, but there, there's an amazing place in Brooklyn which half the club is outside, half the club is inside. So – it's even COVID-friendly. I mean, I guess COVID-time mm -hmm. friendly. I don't want to say say that they're giving out COVID. But, like, it's, it's, it's coming back where people want to get together. The thing that I miss um, is being able to dance to slow songs, which is it's extraordinarily rare that you can find a club that will play, that will slow things down for you to have a conversation with, somebody else that you're dancing with. Now, you can go to a salsa club and, mm -hmm. and, and, and dance in, in, in a very close proximity of a person, but, you know, I, I miss the good old days where you could literally, they would play love songs, and, you, you know, you ask somebody to dance, you get turned down in my case a lot, but you still, you know, you still enjoy <laughs> the process. <laughs> you know, that was part of growing up, right? You know, it's really funny you mentioned that because I remember in the early 80s going to the teen discos while they still have those, right. and they would actually break it up about every 45 minutes and play a slow song. And even back then, they would do the slow song, and then they would play Donna Summer's Last Dance right after, which would start slow and then go into the beat. Right. Which is kind of yeah, cool. Those, those but... days? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, but I think modern kids would almost feel self-conscious slow dancing. What do you think? Uh, absolutely. I think that the, 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 the generations, I'm trying not to date myself, but the younger generations, 
I they they have less physical um, touch with each other, um, and and I think that so like the statement I made earlier, I used to get turned down at so many team dances that it was it was a great life learning experience for me because I got rejected and I learned how to deal with rejection and it was okay and I'm sure it wasn't okay back then, but I think it's great now and I, and I think that. These generations are are protected from any sort of rejection or any sort of hurt feelings. So I I think it's personally a disservice. I try to play so, slow songs every now and then. People look at me like I'm crazy because they don't know what to do. And like literally, it's like when we do the proms, and it's you know for people who, you know, remember the 80s or know about the 80s or the 70s or the 60s, everyone loves the slow songs. And that's that's yeah. the amazing thing. It's just the difference in the generations and what you're used to. So hopefully, you know, people like Chris Brown or uh, Usher or whoever is hot, they'll, they'll keep making slow songs and they'll get people dancing again. It's, it's like, it's almost like dating, you know, uh, I know younger people who dating is different for them than it was for people like me or you. Uh, I would ask somebody to go out on a date, and I would go out with them. These days, they all go out together as a group. Mm-hmm. I, you know, younger people tend to do things more in group situations versus a one-on-one situation. I'm curious, when you do weave in a slow song, are they more modern ones or are these old school slow songs? I, I do both. So I, 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 tr- I try to pick, depending on the crowd, I try to play songs that they're familiar with because, you know, different parts of the country. So like with Chairman of the Board, uh, a lot of people don't know that they're actually a beach music band. And oh. when people hear beach music, they most people think Beach Boys. They think mm-hmm. of West Coast, but there is actually a huge beach song or market on the East Coast in North and South Carolina. A lot of people don't know that. And that oh, was because, you know, yeah, back when, you know, in, in the mid and early 60s, you know, things weren't as open and free as far as different cultures. And a lot of the mm-hmm. kids would go down to the beach to listen to black artists and, you know, dance with a black girl or dance with a white girl and just have different friends versus what their parents or, you know, what their friends thought that they should have. So there was a huge underground beach music scene in the Carolinas. And that's how Chairman of the Board actually, you know, got on to the music scene. Well, one thing about R&B in the 70s and 80s, there were so many great ballads. And, you know, so much R&B, you know, has shifted to hip-hop. Don't you think we've kind of lost something with with the lack of ballads being made today? Yeah, I I think it's also um, a supply and demand. I I think that back then, People were, uh, I'm trying to think of a PC way of putting it, but people were really interested in dancing very close and being able to whisper things in your dance partner's ear. 
I think that uh, in the early 70s and, and 80s, it started, believe it or not, transitioning a lot away from hip-hop to reggae because reggae mm-hmm. allowed people to, to dance very close. You know, they call it dance hall uh, in Jamaica, mm-hmm. and you, you, you go to a lot of clubs now, they'll actually play reggae before they'll play R&B, which is, you're like, okay, that's, that's a little different. But it gives people uh, uh, an opportunity to, to, to mix with the opposite sex at a very close proximity. Well, in the late 70s and early 80s, it seems like people still dressed up more when they went out to dance. And even, you know, Studio 54, right. people got really dressed up, but more guys were wearing suits or at least a tie. And, you know, as opposed to showing up in, you know, a jogging outfit or, you know, just this, this kind of expensive casual look we have now. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I think, think that's that? changed over time. Uh, well, it's changed over time. I mean, it also depends on what city you're in. Like, I, I I do a lot of events in college towns. So usually, like, you know, there might be a club and people have on, you know, very few people are wearing suits. Like, I still wear a suit. That, that's how I was raised. So the, the irony is, is when I wear a suit and I go out to, you know, like a nightclub with clients or, or just friends, most people think I'm an, I'm an employee of the club because it's so uh. out of place. <laughs> So it's funny. People will come up to me and say, hey, you're the manager of the club. And and I think that we've gotten so casual. But I, I think that, to me, I think that takes away because women still are putting in the energy. I just don't see men putting in the same energy as far as, you know, suits. And once again, it also depends on where you, where you, where you go out for night clubbing. I, I was recently in Miami, and they wouldn't let people in who were dressed casual. You, you had to okay. have, you know, very nice attire to get in. No sneakers, no boots, no, no T-shirts, you know. I mean, obviously, unless you're a VIP. But you, you had to, you, you, yeah, there's some places, you know, like here's, a, here's another example. There, I went to a club in Miami where it was, uh, I think, $10 to get in for women and $250 to get in for men. Whoa. <laughs> yes. And obviously you're going to have a different quality of people going to that. So you have so many women trying to get into that club and, you know, they're, they're dressed, you know, like they're going to the prom or they're going to a wedding. They're, they're really nicely dressed. And the men there, because they have to pay $250, you know, they're going to take the time and put the energy in. And I think it's, it's, it's a cultural change. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think that's why it's important to have a curated event like you put on? First of all, it gives people a reason to dress up. I mean, if they're going to a theme murder mystery, do you think that's one reason they're right. so successful is people, they have this environment where they have permission to dress up nice. Yeah. I think there, I think that there are a lot of people who want to dress up, but I think they feel that they're going to be shamed. And like I said, whenever I wear a suit, when I go out, people always, they they think I'm an employee. So I can see how uh, societal pressures will kind of make you dress down. But because of the the events that I do, I tell people that 
you know, these are upper scale events. I'm not going to let you in wearing shorts or, you know, like a T-shirt. You're going to have to put in some energy. And for me, when, when you take the time to communicate that to people, I think it actually is, is, is a relief for people that they had, like you said, they, they have an excuse to dress up. And I think people love dressing up. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, another thing about that late 70s Studio 54 disco era, besides the dressing up, people actually learned how to dance. There was some really good, you know, uh, what would you call it, um, you know, formal dance training people. You could take classes and be really good dancers at the disco. Absolutely. I actually, as a child, this is embarrassing, but I will let you know, because I'm very honest, I actually <laughs> took hustle classes to learn how to do the hustle. And, nice. Uh, you know, <laughs> I can't do it now, but, you know, um, like I said earlier, going to a salsa club, you know, those are formal dances, salsa, merengue, bachata. You, you have to learn these, but I, I think that outside of that culture, you know, I remember, I don't know if you remember the Arthur Mary Studios that used to do oh, yeah. ballroom dancing or, you know, all, yeah. those studios still exist. They're just teaching more Latin style dances now, more traditional styles of dance. But back then, they taught a lot of the hustle uh, classes and, 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 you know, the, the, the dances that they did in Studio 54. And I think that the last big <laughs> song that, that I remember that was accompanied by a dance was the Humpty Dance. I don't know if you remember that song. but um, I do. I do. <laughs> but, you know, TikTok, <laughs> with TikTok these days, every, it seems like everyone's in, inventing a dance. Uh, there was the Macarena, you know, and then people mm -hmm. are always trying to find new dances as if that we're learning them differently. Instead of going to dance studios or going to nightclubs, um, we're learning them on TikTok and through social media. Yeah. Well, I remember one nice thing about you know, the disco heyday, it did naturally incorporate a lot of Latin dance. And that's one thing right. that, you know, even outside, you know, post-disco, it's just so fun to go to a club and see people who know how to do real Latin dance moves on the floor. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, there, there are ballroom dancing teams all around the country. I went to a... Um, a salsa party in D.C. Uh, around the 4th of July. And it was a line down the street. And I think that there's a, a lot of clubs are missing that people do want to dance. Even though when you go to a more, I, I don't want to say disco, but, uh, you know, house music or just uh, EDM sort of nightclub, I found that more people stand around and socialize that way versus socializing dancing. And I, I remember the good old days, and, and I love being an awkward dancer. It, it, it taught me a lot about life. And, you know, and, and it teaches everybody about life, how to move and interact with people, you know, mm -hmm. how to lead, how not to lead. So there's, there's just so much wrapped up in the, the dance culture and the, and the dance music culture. Well, it's so ironic that this is, you know, it's not even called disco anymore when it started to become dance music and now electronic dance music. And yet dance 
is, is kind of the wild card thing. People actually dancing to it as opposed to just being grouped together, listening, maybe bopping up and down a little bit. It's just so ironic we've lost right. the actual physical, formal dancing out of dance music. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, like I said, and I think this is why at my events, I sort of do themes based around actual dancing. So, like, when we do, like, a 20s jazz thing, I, um, pop-up, I'll actually have somebody, you know, a professional come in and, and teach some of the 20s dances, you know, as simplified as possible, so that people sort of can participate. And I think that a lot of people just don't know how to dance. Yeah. Well, I, I don't name drop very often, but I just have to uh, share something that, uh, do you remember the producer and musician George Duke? Yeah. Very, very prolific. Uh, he produced, uh, especially like, you know, he did Let's Hear It for the Boy from Footloose yeah. and produced a lot of great stuff. But I was talking to him about jazz. Footloose was a complete dance movie, right? <laughs> oh, the feet were loose in that movie. <laughs> but, I mean, All he about just, dancing. Oh, yeah. But he had, you know, also a big background in jazz. And we were talking about when, like, disco incorporated jazz elements. And, and he told me something and made me totally think differently. He said, jazz always had a dance element to it. And at some point, right. it kind of got disconnected. I don't know if it was, like, jazz fusion or just you know, when jazz became this intellectual thing. But he said jazz was always this danceable music. And it's just so interesting when a musical form moves away from, you know, being able to physically dance to it. Right. Yeah, I, I think jazz, um, like you said, it, it got intellectualized, like a lot of things. Like disco um, got such a bad name, rock took over, and then, you know, Mancuso and those guys sort of brought disco back, but they didn't call it disco. They called it dance music. And now it, it got rebranded to uh, electronic dance music or EDM, so they keep rebranding things. But when, when, when jazz was popular with bootleggers and, and uh, juke joints, and those were the really, really underground parties where you go out in the middle of nowhere in the South or in the Caribbean or, you know, in the country, and there's like a nightclub. And everyone's dancing, having a good time, and drinking, which it wasn't supposed to. But as, as, as more of the cosmopolitan crowd got involved, it, it sort of intellectualized, and, and it basically altered what the purpose was. And I think that that's going on with dance music too. And that's why I continue to do my underground events where we're dancing and we're trying to encourage people to dance. And I play slow songs and I encourage people to talk to each other and give out your phone number and ask somebody out on a date because it seems like we're just moving away and away and away from that. And I literally had a conversation with somebody uh, the other day when people ask, uh, somebody asked me, do I think that there's a correlation between the, you know, the marriage rates when people danced versus now? Uh, mm -hmm. For African Americans, the marriage rate when you had all of these amazing Motown songs was up to 85, 86%. Wow. No more slow songs, no more dancing. 
it's down to the mid twenties. Is is that a coincidence? I think you're on to something there. So, you know, that's why I'm encouraging people dance, move closer, put on a nice suit, you know, bring some flowers. Like we used to give out flowers to, to all the women that came to the event. But, you know, the things have changed. So we, we have to be careful and make sure everyone is comfortable and everyone feels incorporated. Well, can we somehow transcend this social distancing even if a club o- opens back up, you know, people couldn't slow dance if they wanted to. I mean, is is this the end of it all, or what's going to happen here? Keep making music and encouraging people to dance. Maybe my next, maybe my next project will literally be a how-to dance. Um, a lot of a lot of the songs that I wrote, like I said, though, my album coming out is basically about an experience of me literally meeting somebody on a train platform, uh, catching the subway to, to Brooklyn. That doesn't happen too often these days. It's, it's, you can't really approach people that you don't know and start talking to them. So my thing is to get people talking again. And I think that if we all talked more, danced more, you know, the, here's a great example. Um, did you ever go to a different, like when you went to teen dances, was everyone at the dance from the same neighborhood? No, that was one of the nice things. It really brought people from different neighborhoods. Right. And my thing is maybe we wouldn't be as polarized as we did. That Somebody can write a dissertation on this. Uh, you know, based off of dance. I remember going to, to, to teen dances and places that I, I shouldn't have been. But once, if you're a good dancer, mm-hmm. I remember I could get in the parties as a break dancer, that that nobody would let me in, but they'd be like, "Oh, this kid is a great break dancer. Let him in." And nobody was even break dancing anymore. But people appreciated that I had the talent to dance. So, you know, like I said, I think dancing more would probably bring our country a little bit closer together. I think partying more. Uh, a lot of people don't realize. Uh, like I said earlier, we were out in the Midwest doing a tour, and. I got hired by a lot of Trump supporters coming and do events, and people would be like, why are they hiring you? You're making very ethnic food. They don't like ethnic people. And I'm like, well, people are always interested in different cultures. It's just how much they can accept and how much they want to be involved. And like I said, I've never had a problem doing my events anywhere in the world. I mean, I've done events in Uganda where I didn't even speak the language in, in the city that I was in, and I was able to communicate to people through the music and through the food, and it was an amazing experience. The same thing with Denmark. I was able to communicate through the music and the food, and both with dancing brought everyone together. And we, we as, as a culture, know that most of our culture has always been based around sharing food, sharing stories, and my stories are told through the music and the food. Well, it sounds like with all your experience doing these events around the world that you would have enough material to give a TED Talk. I've given a TED Talk years ago. I I was open to it again. Yeah, yeah, years, years ago. 
Um, oh, nice. See, I, I didn't even know that, but you seem like a natural fit for that. Yeah, that was years ago. But I, I think I should do some research on back to the marriage rate because that's a 60% decline in marriages. And well, I, I mean, that's think... African-Americans. The, the... Right, and, and just, yeah, I think across the board, it seems like, you know, we have permission to be so casual nowadays. Don't you think it's nice that we have something special to dress up for, be on our best behavior? Absolutely. I, th- I think, like I said, I think if you go to nightclubs now, people aren't dr- dressed to the level that they used to be, but some people put some effort in. You know, they might buy, you know, they might come in a fancy T-shirt, but it's still a T-shirt. And I, I think that if clubs imposed more dress codes, and I think that us as a culture, if, if we encouraged people to dance, like literally, uh, this is recently, I'm, I, I won't say the name of the club, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a single guy, and there was this beautiful girl there, woman, and I asked her to dance, and she was completely confused. She was like, huh? <laughs> she, 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 was, she was like, dance? You mean like right now? I'm like, yeah, do you want to dance? And she's so confused. Like, oh, no. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're serious, right? I'm like, of course I'm serious. So, you know, we started dancing, but once again, there are no quote-unquote dances that go along with the music, so we're just doing a little salsa dance, you know, it's a, a two-step. And, like, her friends are like, what are you doing? Oh, my God. And it was, like, the biggest deal ever. I'm like, we're just dancing, relax. And, like, literally people got around us and were staring because we were actually dancing instead of recording the DJ with, with our iPhones or whatever phone you use. And we were actually at the event. Oh, that is bizarre. Wow. Well, good for you. Yeah. Well, do you I think didn't get our phone like, number, oh. by the way. I tried. <laughs> you tried. Well, what do people do at weddings nowadays? Do people dance at now, weddings? Weddings are different. Yeah, people people dance more at weddings because I think that that's a quote unquote acceptable place to dance. But mm-hmm. like literally, if you just started dancing at a bar or at a club, people will give you some strange looks. People definitely. But I've I've, I've been to I was at two weddings this summer, and everyone danced. You nice. Know, back to back to chairman of the board. At every single event that they have done that I have been on tour with them, everyone dances. Because shouldn't a like wedding people. reception, shouldn't that embody the best of food and music and bringing people together? Absolutely, and 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 they do, to a certain extent, but not like how they used to. And I and I and I get it. You know, a lot of people spend a, an extraordinary amount of money on their suits and their dresses and they don't want to ruin them. But, you know, it's a celebration. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's what I try to encompass. So when you asked me what was the best food to go along with your song, it, it was things are going to be all right, but let's celebrate. We have comfort food mm-hmm. with the ceviche or mac and cheese or the pasta but let's celebrate with the champagne. And I think that we as a country need to learn how to celebrate. I think people, everything is such a non-big deal now 
that I remember when I graduated from eighth grade, my parents rented a limousine for me, and I rode around for like three hours with all of my friends. It was the greatest thing. And that was just eighth grade. Wow. I couldn't even – I had a friend who has a son that age. Limo companies were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we don't do stuff like that. And I think that we as a culture, we need to learn how to celebrate. And I think yes. that we've always celebrated, you know, with, with, within the jazz culture, it was, you know, bebop dancing or, or, or just, you know, being a part of that scene. And as time go, went on, each different, you know, even when, when Frank Sinatra and those guys, the Rat Pack were hot, people danced then. I remember recently looking at a Quincy Jones uh, record from back then, and it was a a salsa sort of orchestra record he had put together. And, you know, all Mm -hmm. these big bands were playing, and people people danced. People danced, absolutely. Well, I've got one final question for you. Because in listening to you, I, I think so much of, you know, Music and food, you know, it, it comes down to hospitality, you know, bringing right. people together with these things that are very special, good food and good music. I mean, that's a reward, you know, for you know all the hard work we do during the week to be able to go out and have fun and, and listen to music and, you know, have a chef prepare a good meal. So it's a two-part question. Number one, since you've traveled the world, uh, which country, you know, have you uh, uh, received, you know, the best hospitality? Which culture just incorporates food and music and hospitality uh, in the most special way to you? And how do you use that inspiration in, in your own work? Um, for me, I would have to say it, it's uh, it's a toss-up between uh, Australia I've I've done a lot of events in in, in Sydney and Perth, um, in the UK. I think that those cultures still love the the Motown sound. They still dance. They still love slow dancing. Believe it or not, um, I think this is this is kind of an old school sort of term. But I think the US is too cool for school, where everyone is so worried about what they look like versus who they're meeting and how they're interacting. And I think that um, over the course, uh, you know, I've, I've easily have done over 2,000 events in my lifetime. And somebody came up to me at one of my events and told me the reason that they bring their friends to my events are not because of the food and the music, which is always amazing, but it's the quality of people that I attract. And I, and, I, and I questioned the person, and I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, I can come here, and I know that there's a possibility that I can meet my wife at one of your events. And I can meet somebody who's going to be a long-term friend at one of your events. Because what you embody is what we all should embody, which is a love for life, for food, to share each other's cultures, and to just be, you know, one community. And I think that if if we looked at all of those things and we literally just went from the East Coast to the West Coast 
and shared our different cultures through food and, you know, through music, you know, I, I can't say that we'd live in a perfect country, but I guarantee you'd be a whole lot better than what it is today. Mm-hmm. Well, what an amazing compliment to say that they see your events as a place they could meet a future mate or a lifelong friend. That, that sounds like the ultimate compliment. Absolutely. Well, his name is Wheeler Del Toro. The single is The Sun Will Shine Again, available on vinyl. <laughs> he is going to be hopefully putting on many, many events going into 2022. And I just really appreciate you sharing all this, Wheeler, and I hope we get another chance to talk sometime. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, I, we could check back in a couple of months. Like I said, I always usually do a, a huge New Year's Eve murder mystery somewhere around the country or internationally. And I'm going to, I'm really going to focus on getting people to dance more. 